Hello, listeners. This is Kirsten Barrington-Hughes from the Carolina Film Community. Today, I'm speaking at the Ground Crew Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm talking with Eric Ho, who's a visual effects artist. Hi, Eric. Hi. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. We wanted to learn more about what a visual effects artist does and how you get into that and uh, just all about the field. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great to me. Excellent. So I looked a little bit about your background, and it looks like you have this whole background in finance, not in (sighs) visual effects and film. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in visual effects and and the transition from what seems to be a heavily corporate finance background, or am I wrong about that? No, no, you're absolutely right. I I went to college uh, right here in North Carolina in Charlotte, uh, a UNCC alumni, and um, yeah, I thought I was going to be a banker and, you know, did the whole uh, suit and tie kind of thing and um, uh, went the whole corporate route. I uh, did that for a few years. Um, but I, I always had an interest in, in art and uh, creative things, making something. Um, you know, sure, I made some spreadsheets and all that, and that's fun and all, but uh, uh, it's only you can only get so creative with spreadsheets. So um, uh, I guess... I found that uh, a perfect combination, whether I'm creating a 3D animation or whether I'm replacing a background on green screen, a perfect combination between uh, technical computer science and uh, artistry was VFX. Um, it was something that uh, I kind of stumbled onto. I never really knew much about it. And uh, one, one day I was just, while I was uh, on my break, during one of my corporate jobs, I was just at a bookstore flipping through a, a magazine. It happened to be a 3D World magazine. Um, and I saw an ad for the Dave School, which is the Digital Animation and Visual Effects School. And um, I decided, why not? I'll give them a call and see what they're about. Excellent. Was this a matter of uh, your parents put you in one direction and you decided that wasn't really you? Or did you actually think you were a finance guy to begin with? I did. I, I you know... I think when I was younger, I I thought I was going to, you know, be working at the top of the Bank of America building, you know, wearing a suit and have the corner office. And, and um, you know, I did work towards that for a while. And um, I did like, you know, the, that business lifestyle. And I've done other business uh, ventures before. And uh, but um, but still, it's a part of me and it's part of uh, who I am. And uh, it's. I think I still bring a little bit of that even into the VFX world. Right. And the reason why I bring all this up is because I think so many of the people that we speak to, they come into the film industry uh, later on, uh, not that you're older, but uh, they find their passion after they pursue some other thing that they think they yeah. should be doing, right? Right. And it's very interesting, I think, because it's never really too late to join the film industry, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, Tell me what are the best parts of being a visual effects artist? Uh, I think for me it's just uh, creating things. Um, it's almost like even whenever you're painting or drawing, traditionally uh, you start with a blank canvas. And you know when you first start, you look at the blank white canvas and, and then uh, at the end of it, it's, you have this beautiful creation on top of it. Um, not saying everything I do is beautiful, but I'm just saying like you you know you've made something something tangible, um, something that you can see. Uh, I think that's that's what I, I really enjoy about it. 
Now, uh, so two things I want to say about that. The first thing is, is I and, and my whole family were huge fans of all kinds of animation, including uh, we love stop animation particularly. Mm-hmm. But um, and, and uh, we've taken classes on it and played with it and all this stuff. But it seems like the animation today is just I mean, obviously, it's leaps and bounds what it was yesterday, but I mean even just yesterday. Like, that, uh, there's a new film out, just came out uh, probably last month, Big Hero 6. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing animation. Right. Um, is it just super exciting to be part of an industry that's continuously growing and changing and, and you just have to be on top of your game all the time and that the, the ability for things to be new is just, is just at your fingertips? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the computer science uh, aspect of it. Um, I've always been a bit of a geek in that regard, and I've always liked working on computers, and I always wanted to do something on computers. Um, so yeah, with all the 3D animated films coming out of Pixar and DreamWorks, um, the cool thing about them is uh, with every new feature, they're always pushing the envelope. Um, for instance, uh, with the film Tangled, the, the big... Uh, new technology that came out there was the hair simulating the the character's hair with frozen and with it glowing uh i think so but yeah but just just the the, actual fibers showing and yeah just the dynamic movement of the hair the realism of the hair uh with the film frozen the big technology that came out of that was the snow Mm -hmm. Uh, they made the snow look so incredibly realistic uh that physics and the dynamics that goes behind creating the snow it's a lot of programming it's a lot of a lot of knowledge that's beyond me, but I mean, it's you know, there's many programmers uh, in VFX as well who create those simulations. But um, yeah, I mean, the big thing with Big Hero Six was uh, the uh, rendering that it took to make the, mil- the make the film. I think it's something about fifty five thousand cores, which are computer cores, were used to render the film, uh, which is. An insane amount of rendering, but uh, and what's a computer core? I'm not that technical, but it kind of goes into. I think it's the uh, like the CPU. It's the um, the part of the computer that is uh, used to render um, okay. all the all the graphics. And and I know on some of these films, I mean, we always stay for all the credits because yeah. we're so into the film industry. But um, I think it's crazy to see sometimes you've got like I don't know, I'm making up a number, but it seems like you know 1,400 animators on a film, mm-hmm. and that is not unusual. And um, and it's a small army, right? On yeah, these films, for sure. um, and many of them don't go credited either. Really, mm-hmm. what would make someone credited or not credited for these large feature films, um, especially if you're working at a large studio, uh, the small junior artists won't get credited the their leads will the supervisors will um the feature film that i worked on i was fortunate i was at a smaller studio so i was able to get credited as a compositor um uh but uh, a lot of the bigger films uh, or bigger studios i mean yeah the the junior artists who are make up the bulk of the the team yeah they they won't get credited okay. simply because i guess there's too many of them or just because they're such a, on a low level and they're getting their feet wet, right? Yeah. So the credit mm-hmm. becomes a bigger deal in this uh, field. Sure, sure. Have you been on something where there's a huge amount of people like that? What's the biggest crew that you've been on? Um, I worked on The Expendables 3, and that was um, 20-some people, I think. Okay. Yeah. So probably uh, a nice still pretty kind small. of family feel, not this uh, megalopolis kind of <laughs> group. Yeah, and it was still a great, uh, great experience to be able to— to learn from other people, um, to learn to new techniques and uh, new styles, for sure. 
That's excellent. Um, what do you think are the worst parts of being a, a visual effects artist besides not being credited? <laughs> um, I think it, it's the industry as a whole. Um, I was out in Los Angeles for a while uh, looking for VFX work there, but just the industry as a whole is it's not very pretty. Um, it's very cutthroat. It's very, um, I guess, Hollywood likes to feature visual effects as a main thing in their films, but they don't like to pay for it. Um, so the life of a va- of an average visual effects artist is very tough. Uh, they're nomads. They live on the road, hotel to hotel, just chasing contracts, three-month, six-month contracts, traveling around the world. Um, most of the studios are in you know, Vancouver or Los Angeles. Um, both places are extremely expensive to just live in. Um, so just working on a fairly basic salary in those places can be can be uh, And travel is not included in the contract? Uh, yeah, most of the time, unless you're one of the higher-ups, uh, more experienced people in, in visual effects, they might, you know, pay you to uh, fly out there and pay for your hotel um, and pay a higher hourly rate. But uh, you've got to be pre-experienced uh, to get into that uh, into that, air, in that position. Um, but yeah, there's a there's recently been a pretty big movement on trying to get things changed in the VFX world. I don't know if you've seen like the the um, people like on Facebook they'll post uh, their profile picture will just be a blank green screen. It's kind of a kind of a movement for that. Um, but it's just kind is of a there a union? Too. There's not. It's not really a union. It's one area that isn't covered, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, a lot of the the work gets outsourced to you know India or China or some other places, and um, so uh, you know studios are just looking to get the best effects they can for the cheapest um, for the cheapest dollar. So a lot of the jobs are going outside of the country, um, and that's why so many VFX artists are just trying their hardest to just cling on to whatever they can and just you know chase these contracts uh, however they can. When you're traveling around, how do you um, – what do you have to carry with you? Is it just a laptop or is there a bunch of equipment? What's uh, in your toolkit? Well, if you're working like in the Hollywood uh, system, I mean you're moving from studio to studio and they'll provide the hardware uh, and the software. Um, but you know, I've chosen to stay here in Charlotte. Uh, and make my little niche here, but um, but yeah, basically just a, a PC. Um, that's about it. I mean, PC and then the software. Okay, and mm-hmm. you mentioned kind of chasing contracts. How do you find work? It depends. If if you're going the Hollywood route, um, it's mostly through connections. Um, that's how I got my feature film gig um, was just through connections, uh, being tied to people who knew people and. And then, you know, getting a call one day and say, hey, would you like to come work on this film? Sure, I'd love to go out there. Um, but so far, I think being in a town that's not Los Angeles, here in Charlotte, it's I've had to really put myself out there and just network uh, and just get to know people and, you know, tell them what I do, show them what I do, and, and uh, just help other people out however I can. And through that, just connect and network. Right. And do you... Um volunteer to be a part of these uh, film contests and film festivals, uh, the projects on those, like the 48-hour and uh, 100 words mm-hmm. and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a great way to uh, meet people and and get to work with people. Um, I volunteer my time and my skills 
however I can. Um, it's uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a great way to just bond and meet people and, and get to work with people. These people see how you work and with them and and um, it showcase your abilities. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How's the Carolina film community been for you? Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, uh, um, I joined earlier this year and I've uh, been to probably uh, five or six meetings and um, I've met some wonderful people, uh, great filmmakers, really smart people, um, and been able to work with some people. And through that, we've even built friendships and, and we've become good friends. And uh, it's been a yeah, fantastic experience. That's great. Um, let me ask you, um, there's some terms in your industry that I don't know what they are. So if you know what they are, will sure. you explain just something about them? And, and if you don't, you can say pass. <laughs> yeah, sure. What is... Um, well, I, I think I know what 3D modeling and sculpting. That's a lot of the stop animation stuff that I love, right? The, uh, like, Coraline and um, some of those, right, where they're actually doing, like, a claymation. Is that right? Uh, uh, no. Generally, whenever you refer to 3D modeling or sculpting, um, they are talking about uh, virtual models. Oh, they are? Models. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the company that does, I think, what you're talking about, like, the movie Paranorman, uh-huh. Box Trolls, Paranor- um, it's called um, uh, Leica. Uh, they're, they're a fantastic company. They build the model. I think they 3D uh, print them. Um, they build them, and yeah, it is a stop motion, a traditional kind of stop motion. Take a picture, move it, take a picture. Right. Um, but there's still a lot of VFX that goes into it afterward okay. to remove um, the lines on the faces because they interchange the faces. So you have to go in and remove the lines, and and the backgrounds a lot of times are you know green screens, or they have cleaned up the ground. Um, there's a lot of VFX that goes into post and that. Oh, interesting. But, um, but yeah, 3D modeling, um, we generally refer into using a 3D software program such as Maya or 3DS Max um, to build a virtual model. Um, and that's kind of the, the beginning of the um, VFX process. Uh, we like to call it the, the pipeline, which is creating something in 3D and converting it into... Uh, the 2D final form being in a, in a film. Uh, so you create a 3D model. Um, there's two different types of modeling. There's uh, hard surface and then there's uh, organic. Um, I tend to be better at hard surface. Hard surface being anything from a table or a, or a car or building, uh, things that are more static. They don't really move. They might have moving hinges, but um, then you have organic, which is uh, characters, uh, animals, people, uh, these things have muscles and they are more dynamic in their movements. Um, and you have to model them in a certain way that they can be animated. Um, pretty much all modeling software are pretty much the same uh, in regards to the concepts of how you model. Um, the Just the the principles behind modeling are pretty much, pretty much universal. Um, just the software has different bells and whistles exactly. on top different, of that. Different features, yeah. Some are might be easier here and there, but uh, it it's like um it's like a different type of paintbrush. I mean, you know, you might not have the best paintbrush in in the world, but you know, if you use it for ten thousand hours, you might get pretty good at it, and right. it doesn't really matter at that point. So, and what is texturing? Uh, texturing is um, once you've built the model, now you need it to look good. So you apply uh, a texture to it. Basically, you're telling the computer uh, what 
polygons are getting what uh, surface images. So a part of that um, is, uh, let's say, if I create uh, a person, I'm going to need to give them skin and um, clothing uh, colors for their clothing or whatever texture, like you know, cloth. Is it cloth? Is it leather? Uh, what kind of clothing are they wearing? So um, that's a different process where after you've modeled it, you need to basically tell the computer where these textures go. Okay. And what is rotoscoping? Uh, rotoscoping, um, that goes into compositing, which is uh, for a little bit further down the pipeline um, whenever you get into the 2D stuff. Uh, it's um, basically, how do you describe it? Um, tr- kind of tracing out different parts of uh, images in the frame to... Um, so that allows you to manip- to manipulate them. Um, there's many different uses for rotos- for rotoscoping. Um, let's say if I'm compositing an image um, and I need uh, maybe to replace a background, but I need the foreground actor to be in front of the background, whatever, I can rotoscope the actor and keep that image uh, in the front. It's oh, kind okay. of a layering process. Oh, okay, great. And um, stereoscopic conversion, do you know what that is? Yeah, I actually, um, I did some of that in Burbank. Um, it's, it involves a lot of rotoscoping, <laughs> uh, a lot actually. Uh, it's basically creating, a, a, it's converting a 2D film into stereoscopic 3D. So the 3D films we watch uh, in the theater where we put on the glasses, uh, that's stereoscopic 3D. Um, Many films aren't filmed in 3D, where you where you basically put together you know two camera lenses right next to each other. Um, so the ones that aren't will need to be converted. Uh, it's basically the process of just rotoscoping virtually everything in every shot. Oh, so you get that layered kind of right. feel of the front and back, and yeah, exactly. Um, so then you from there you create uh, a depth. Um, that's how you create depth. Um, the way they do it is a, a depth map, which is what they call it, as basically a black and white map um, of the entire shot. So everything that's black, the blackest black is furthest away from the viewer. Everything that's white, like pure white, is coming straight off the screen right into your eyes. Mm-hmm. So everything in between that, all the gray, is how they create the depth uh, for stereoscopic 3D. Um, and they roto everything. So even a person's face, if they're close to the, to the camera, you know, they'll roto the nose, the eyebrows, the cheeks, oh, okay. the, the lips, um, to really get that that pure depth. Um, it's it's a very tedious and long process. But so, uh, I don't I don't know if you've seen uh, my favorite 3D film, and it's my favorite film in 3D because I am I feel like I'm enmeshed in the whole scene. Like, but it's not mm-hmm. with the tricks and stuff flying out at right. you. But it's Hugo. Okay, have yeah. you seen that? It's it's just it feels like you're in it and yeah. um, and it was filmed in 3D I believe. Do you feel like there's a big difference between filming in 3D and then the 3D conversion later the the feel of it? Uh, it's actually um, there. It, it's more of a style kind of thing. Um, there's pros and cons to doing both to filming in 3D or doing it in post later. Uh, doing it in post later, you're given more control. Uh, to manipulate how you want the shot to look. Um, 
my teacher in, in stereoscopic 3D, Daniel Smith, uh, he was one of the forerunners for bringing 3D back uh, into the mainstream. He worked on um, uh, Spy Kids 3D, which was actually before Avatar was one of the big films to actually feature 3D. Mm-hmm. 3D's actually been around for a long time. The first 3D film came out in 1903. Um, but uh, to you know, bring it back in these days, uh, but yeah, it's it's basically a, a style. You, you film in 3D, uh, it, you're, you, it might look a little better, but it really, I mean, in the end, uh, it's about what the, the director wants and how uh, you want the shot to look. So doing it in conversion, um, you do get more control. Let's say, oh, let's push this... Uh, piece back a little bit further. Let's push this piece a little bit uh, closer to the audience. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, like you said, uh, the immersion, that's I think really where 3D uh, has the, its strengths. Um, it's not about the gimmicks of things flying at you and uh, that stuff is actually, um, it kind of hurts your eyes a little bit, you know, a little too much of it. But um, where 3D is really powerful is where it can really immerse you into the into the world. Um, I think that's where its best strengths are. Yeah. Now, uh, what would you say to someone who's interested in pursuing a career in visual effects? Uh, be prepared to work really hard and uh, uh, spend a lot, a lot of hours in front of a computer. Um, and a lot of time marketing yourself, right? Building your brand? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can't be an introvert and get work probably, right? Without uh, some other work under your belt, like I think you have to kind of go out there and hustle a little bit, right? Uh, well, most VFX people I've met probably aren't the biggest extroverts, but uh, yeah, I think a little bit depends on on I think what you want to do and how you want to market yourself or how you know what niche do you want to play. Um, I'd say most artists are probably pretty comfortable just sitting in front of the computer and 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 you know going from job to job. Um, because, like I said, most of the jobs, and at least as Hollywood goes, are just you know referrals. You you work okay. one job, and um, someone might contact you. Hey, you know I've got this gig. We need someone. Would you like to come out um, and, and join us? Eh, sure, I'll, I'll be out there in you know in a couple of days. But um, but yeah, it definitely takes. It's a lot of hours. Uh, many of the studios, as far as Hollywood goes, are you know working junior artists eighty hours a week, um, and that's just normal. Um, you know, so uh, weekends, yeah, forget about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of hard work, um, and especially with the technology always changing. You're always learning. It's you know, you it's something you never, you can't ever learn all of it because uh, there, there's so many aspects to the full pipeline. You can't learn all of it. Um, so most people might specialize in in one department. Let's say lighting. They might specialize in just lighting, and that's all. That's all I do. Uh, some people might just do compositing or just modeling. Um, so, uh, so yeah. I mean, finding your niche and what you really enjoy doing, um, and then getting really good at that is probably uh, the best way to start or, or, or get into it. Excellent. And if someone wants to work with you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, I have a website. Uh, www.echo3d.com. It's uh, E-K-H-O-3-D.com. Uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, yeah. 
Excellent. Thank you so much for coming out and sharing your your thank role you. with us and your experience with us. Uh, we really appreciate learning all about it. And thank you so much to the Ground Crew Studios here in Charlotte, North Carolina for sponsoring this podcast. This is Kirsten Barrington-Hughes of the Carolina Film Community. Music composed by Sean Beck.